<laughs> That's crazy. It's absolutely amazing we, we still exist as a church. You know what I mean? I mean, this is by God's grace that God has continued to use Desert Breeze. I know that many of you have stories about the impact of God in your life through this church, through Desert Breeze. And uh, I'm just, I'm amazed at God's grace. I mean, if I were to summarize 25 years of ministry here, uh, I would summarize it by God's amazing grace that has been more than we deserve and greater than we could have ever dreamed. And uh, I'm more fired up today. I mean, I'm just warmed up. This is 25 years? Are you kidding me? I'm just warming up, man. This is awesome. I've had a front row seat to see what God does best, and that's transform people's lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I absolutely love it. I love it. And uh, I think we're the healthiest we've ever been. Best is yet to come. 25 years and counting. Hey, I've got some vintage uh, t-shirts here that I brought out of my closet. I notice there's a number of you are wearing vintage uh, t-shirts here. I just wanted to show you some of these through the years. This is uh, God Group. You guys remember this? Some of you might. Born to Grow, Life Groups. That was one of our our t-shirts. And this one is really a very holy one, very holy. You can see the holes in it. Got life, got life. We used to hand that one out to visitors when they would uh, come into the church. Anybody still have their got life uh, church uh, shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, what are you using it to wipe the car down with or something? Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this one. This was over at 17th Avenue and Bell Road. It was grow. Got the DB shirt. Beyond stuck points. That was a good one. <laughs> Whoops. I'm going to build a pile here. And some of you, this was our 15th year anniversary sh shirt. That just happened just a couple years ago, it seemed like. That was fast. And here's the vintage. These are really vintage. These go all the way back to the boys club days. Wow. Desert Breeze. And then this one, this was one of my favorite that's the vintage boys club days, 25, about, about 24 years ago. And so we're going to auction this one off. Uh, we're going to start the bid at $5 million. And we, can, we can build out the rest of this place so we can get more room for folks. By the way, we still have more room on Saturday night. We've been maxing out here on Sunday morning. And we should, in a couple weeks, have our overflow finished up over here. We do have an overflow currently. It's 106, but our 107, which is an absolutely beautiful place that we used for Easter weekend, is, uh, should be up to speed here in another week or so. Give us more room. We need a lot more room. But uh, I am very excited you're here today. And it couldn't have happened on a better weekend for us to talk about this particular topic, worship. If you have your Bibles, you can grab your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. That's our current uh, teaching series, working through the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. This is our Recovering Awe teaching series. We're talking about worship. Also grab your sermon notes out, and you'll notice they're part of the intro. Let me start this off by saying that we are worshipers by nature. All of us are worshipers by nature, and when we worship created things more than the creator, it sets us up inevitably for inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression. And that's, that's an important statement. You're going to see that as we work through this study here this uh, morning. Our mission at Desert Breeze for 25 years has been to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Another way we could put it, you got it right there on your notes. For 25 years, we've been here to help unchurched people to relocate their ultimate love, hope, and trust away from created things onto the Creator. 
And I'm more convinced of that than ever before that nothing will heal your heart, free your soul, fortify your faith like giving Christ your heart's deepest loyalties and affections. That's the essence of the Christian life. That's what those that are going to be getting baptized here this morning or this weekend. We started last night with a great party, quite a number of people getting baptized. And so this morning for each of our services, we'll be baptizing folks. That's what they're saying. He has captivated my deepest heart's uh, loyalties and affections. And that's what it's about. So you'll see, we're going to read the text completely through and then we'll answer three questions. What is worship? Why should we worship God? And how can we learn to worship God well? That's where we're headed for our study. Would, would you bow your heads with me just for a moment here? Once again, let's ask for God's help on this study that he would open our eyes and ears to hear about his beauty and glory. Father God, we were created to enjoy the riches of your beauty and glory. When you command us to worship you, it is an invitation to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. We confess that our tendency by nature and by choice is to give our hearts to the worship of created things more than you, our creator. And so God, this morning, as we worship you in song and in the study of your word, may our hearts be more and more ravished by your love so that we are less and less held hostage to the things of this world for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Take a look at this text. Let me read it, and then we'll unpack these notes. Chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. Basically, the book could be summarized as God, uh, the Solomon is, is writing this, and he's basically saying that uh, life is meaningless apart from God. If you don't have God in your life, pretty much he says it's all meaningless, it's empty, it's vain. And if you don't believe that, it's because you haven't uh, thought out whatever you've built your life on to its furthest implication. And if you've built your life on something in creation, it's a matter of time, it's, it's going to be gone. And so that's why it's so critical that you put your, your ultimate hope in Christ. And that's what the whole book is about. It's helping us to walk out our life to its furthest implication in all the various areas of our life so that we will ultimately put our hope and our love and our trust in God. And he says here, and it's interesting because he now comes to this place of, of worship. And he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Very profound statement. Verse 3, for a dream comes with much business <clears throat> and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. He's just saying, hey, be a person of your word. When you make a commitment to Christ, follow through with your life. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one 
you must fear. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And so here's the first question, what is worship? Here's your definition. Here's your couple fill in the blanks for this definition. It is the act of ascribing ultimate worth and value. It is the act of ascribing ultimate worth and value to something in a way that engages and energizes your whole person. This definition is from uh, Timothy Keller, but it's very much a biblical definition. You'll also see it in the text as we unpack this text. Keep your Bibles open because we'll be referring back to these verses. But it is the act of, of ascribing ultimate worth and value to something in a way that engages and energizes your whole person. Whole person meaning mind, emotion, will. Let's, let's unpack that and go back to the text. So the first, the next uh, fill in the blank here is mind. So it engages and energizes your mind, and that's seen in verses 1 and 2a. So look at verse 1a, first part of verse a. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, why would he say that? What is he saying? He's saying, get ready to meet God. Prepare yourself to meet God. Think about what you are doing and why you are doing it. So that would be a good question to ask you this morning. Why are you here? What are you doing here? Are you just here to check the box? Are you just going through the motions? So he's challenging us. He's saying, say, when you open up God's word, why are you reading his word? Why would you spend time on your knees before God? Why do you hang out with other fired up Christians? That's a great question. He's asking. Think about what you are doing and why you are doing it. And then verses 1b to 2a says, draw near to listen. Don't be rash with your mouth. Listen to what God has to say to you. Give God your undivided attention. This is the, really the language of thinking. So my question for you, when was the last time you heard God? Not in an audible voice, but that inner audible voice that he speaks to us. And primarily he speaks to us through his word. But, but as you're reading through his word, it just stood off the page. You knew it was for you. You knew that God was speaking to you. And that's what he's saying. Pay attention. Listen to him. And uh, so this is the language of thinking. Thinking is the foundation of faith. It's the foundation of worship. The next, it goes from mind to emotion. Verse 2b says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That's a powerful statement. This is a statement about perspective, not distance. Because immediately you might think, well, he's way up there and I'm way down here. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's really about, it's not distance, but about perspective. This is about getting a view of the throne of God and then beginning to see all of life from the throne room of God. When you get a view of the throne of God, you begin to enter into his presence. Oh my goodness, it changes everything about your perspective in life. Here's what I found in my own life, that I over, I'm overcome, I'm overwhelmed by the trauma and the trials of life in direct proportion to how I have forgotten how great God is. So when you're overwhelmed by life, it's because, man, you just are not in touch with the greatness of God. And when you're overtaken by the temptations of life, you're chasing after all these things in this world thinking that they're going to satisfy you like only God can satisfy you, it's because you have lost track of the goodness of God. That's what he's wanting us to understand. So it goes from mind now to emotion and then to will. Verses 4 through 7 of our text, verses 4 through 5, he says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. In other words, mean what you say to God. 
Look at verse 7. It's, it's a bit peculiar, and it took me a little bit to try to understand this, but he says, for when dreams increase... When do you have increased dreams, especially in the context of what he's saying here? When dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. So dreams increase when we're in that stage between deep sleep and now we're moving into trying to wake up, but our dreams are meant to kind of put us back to sleep. Certainly God can speak to us through dreams, but oftentimes those dreams are just there because we're having a restless night. You can have some really crazy dreams when you're having sleepless night because there's so much anxiety in your life. And that's what he's talking about here. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But notice what he says, the contrast. But God is the one you must fear. In other words, don't fear whatever it is you're worried worried about, you're anxious about. Fear God. Take God seriously. See, anxiety is a collapsing counterfeit God. It's something you've built your life on and now it is collapsing before your eyes and creates this inordinate anxiety. So take God seriously is what he's saying. And and what we learn from this is that if you fear God, and this, this idea of fearing God is not being afraid of God, it's an awe and intimacy with God. If you fear God, you will fear nothing or no one else. That's what he's saying here. Now, let's put all this together. Let's let's make it uh, practical for our lives. Worship is something that engages and energizes your mind, emotions, and will. And this is extremely important because if you've come here this morning and if you go through the motions ritually and affirm the biblical doctrines and beliefs of God mentally without ever experiencing in your inner being emotionally a ravishing sense of the beauty and the glory of God energizing, energizing you with love, joy, and peace, it's not worship. I mean, you may embrace the doctrines, the doctrinally pure songs that we were singing. Yeah, that's biblical, that's biblical. And you do that intellectually. And even what I'm saying here, you, you kind of say, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. That's, that's uh, intellectually, that's uh, theologically accurate. And yet it doesn't move down into your heart and move you. Solidify your conviction, yes, that God is for you and not against you. Then that's not worship. Or let's... let's uh, Or on the other hand, let's just say that you come to a service and have an emotional experience, but it doesn't change you fundamentally in how you live your life. In other words, it doesn't change your character or your life patterns. It's not really worship. So worship is something, when we worship God, it's something that engages and energizes your mind, emotions, and will. That's extremely important. So when you study God's word, when you're praying, that's what you're wanting. Yeah, you're reflecting on the, on the beauty and the glory of Christ, but it should get to this place where there's, it solidifies your conviction. Yes, he is for me and not against me. And then it's going to change the way that you respond to the issues of life. Make all the difference in your life. And so in essence, we could say that worship is, is really feasting your soul on the multidimensional glories of God. Worship is, that's why I said, this couldn't have happened on a better weekend for us to study this. I didn't plan this out. I think God planned this out. We're talking about worship because that's what Desert Priest has been all about for 25 years. About helping people to worship God, to engage God, to encounter God. And, uh, and it's about feasting your soul on the multidimensional glories of God. I love to worship God. That's my favorite thing to do. I love my wife, I love my kids, but I love worshiping God more than ever. And I I love seeing them worship God. That's what I want for them, is to love God more than they love me. And I love God more than I love them. And that's really important, that's healthy. Then, Therefore, I'm able to love them well, and they're able to love me well because of that. 
And so worship is, is, is a taking, it's taking inventory of the excellencies of God. It's reflecting and meditating on them until there's this explosion in your life. So what happens is that you, so, so truth about the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done enters your head, you begin to reflect on it, and then it ignites your heart. And then you get up from your time of prayer, devotions, oh my goodness, you're energized. You've, you've been engaged with who God is and you're energized and now you're ready to face anything in life. See, that's worship. Believe me, believe me. You encounter the living God, you'll never be the same. When you walk with him, when you know him, when you experience him in your life, think about this, the creator of the universe, we can have an audience with him, we can know him, we can experience him in our life. That's what you were created for. You were created for that. And that's where you're going to find the satisfaction of the deepest longings of your soul. No one's ever loved you more than him. And, then, and so this is what that looks like in our lives as we worship. Let me, uh, let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. Imagine you inherited a piece of jewelry passed on to you from your great, 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 great grandmother. And uh, you don't know how expensive it is. You just threw it in a jewelry box and it's in your closet somewhere. And let's say you hit bad times, you lose your job, you drain your bank account, you become financially desperate. And so you decide to look through this jewelry box to see if you can sell something to, to kind of help you out and uh, get you down the road a little bit further. And you come across this piece of jewelry that was given to you. And so uh, you take this old piece of jewelry to a jeweler where as he's looking at it with one of those eyeglasses, he's kind of examining it, his eye nearly pops out and goes, and he kind of takes his breath away and he can hardly even talk and you begin to discover it's worth tens of millions of dollars it's a very rare ancient piece of jewelry and and suddenly suddenly your mind emotion and will are all engaged and energized because you realize what you have is unbelievably valuable it's priceless would that change your life a little bit would you think yeah, yeah. How many of you have ever daydreamed about that? Maybe about finding something? Actually, I read a story a number of years ago about some guys that were, had bought an old house and up in the attic they found some baseball cards that were uh, worth millions of dollars. I'd like to find something like that. Wouldn't that be great? But imagine this happens to you. Because you didn't understand the true value of it, you were living in a manner that was consistent. You weren't living in a manner that was consistent with its worth or value. Because you didn't understand what you had in your possession, you just threw it in a jewelry box somewhere in the closet. You didn't understand how wealthy you are. You didn't realize that. So because you didn't understand the true value of it, you were not living in a manner that was consistent with its worth. This is what Solomon is trying to get to us. He's just saying, do you have any idea the worth and value of having God in your life and that you can have an audience with him that you can encounter the living God? That's what he's saying. He's trying to get us back to that because our tendency is to chase anything and everything other than God. The English word worship comes from the old English worth-ship, W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. Worship is to see what God is worth and to give him what he's worth. See, it's not, a, it's not so much about getting a hold of God's worth, 
but it's really more about God's worth getting a hold of you. And I'll tell you what, you know when that happens. You know when it happens, don't you? It's pretty amazing. I was wrecked years ago. I was wrecked years ago when I, I got a, I, I began to get a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me. Game over. It was game over for me. It was like, oh my goodness. I got to tell everybody. Everybody needs to hear this. I mean, I couldn't keep quiet. I still can't keep quiet. I mean, it's just, wow. This is totally amazing. Most people live most people believe in God. There's a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I believe in God. Most people believe in God, but are like you were before you realized the value of that rare ancient piece of jewelry you possessed, totally unaffected, completely unaware of its value. It's one thing to believe in God in a general way. It's, a, it's, it's a, totally another thing to be captivated by his worth and his value. And to really know that, and it, it certainly wrecks you. Worship, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value and worth to God, seeing what he's worth and living in accordance with it in such a way it transforms your whole life. That's worship. That's worship. That's why I love worship. Worship is encountering God. It's knowing God. It's experiencing God. Now, let me just say something before we move on to the next question. And... Um, and those that are making this public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to give you really an understanding of what the gospel is in just a few moments, but it's a statement that I use from time to time, but it's an important statement. If the gospel isn't the most amazing message you've ever heard, and what I mean by the gospel, I'm talking about the, the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If it's not the most amazing message you've ever heard, then you haven't heard it. If there's something in creation that's more amazing to you than the gospel, you haven't heard the gospel. Yeah, you might have heard it, but you haven't heard it to where it, it wrecked you. Because believe me, when you hear it and you begin to understand it, you're wrecked forever by his beauty and his glory. Now, let me, uh, let me answer the next question. Why should we worship God? Well, because you are already worshiping something. Here's your next fill in the blank. If Christ isn't the center of your life, then something else is. And now, I know that on weekends like this, we'll have a number of people that they invite their family and friends, and sometimes we'll have atheists and even agnostics here. And if you're an atheist or an agnostic, we're glad you're here today. And, and I'm just here to say that though you may not be worshiping Christ as, as we are and want to, you're worshiping something or someone because you can't live unless there's something at the center of your life. If Christ isn't at the center of your life, then something else is. Verse 7 of our text, he says, but God is the one you must fear. He's not giving like a third option. He's, he's actually saying, you're either going to worship something or you're going to worship God, but you can't worship nothing is the point here. Your whole life is already controlled and oriented towards something to which you ascribe ultimate value to. You're going to live for something. You can't exist unless you have something you're living for. Everyone is living for something. Whatever that something is, whether you want to call it that or not, is the Lord of your life. I like what Rebecca Pippert says. She says, whatever controls us is our Lord. 
The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who lives for acceptance by other people is controlled by the people he or she seeks to please. One thing is certain, we do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. Here's the next point on your notes. Whatever that something is, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've heard me say this a lot, probably have, have it memorized, but whatever that something is other than God will control you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it, and devastate you when you lose it. I'm just trying to help you to keep from having a nervous breakdown, okay? Because when you understand that, I'm trying to help you psychologically to be healthy. If you can learn what I'm telling you this morning, you're going to be psychologically healthy. It's going to help you to, as you work through the issues of your life. Verse 3, he says, For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Like I said, that's a bit of a peculiar verse. But NIV, uh, New Living Translation puts it this way, too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When do we talk too much? Usually when we're anxious. I know, that's when I talk too much. We start, we start talking too much, and we have restless nights. We have those crazy dreams. We're in that state of deep sleep. Now we're moving into trying to wake up, but our body's trying to keep us asleep by giving us these dreams. And that's what he's saying. He's talking about anxiety here. And uh, this is what I've learned through the years is that you can follow your excessive anxiety, anger, and depression back to what you have ascribed ultimate worth and value to other than God. Remember, it's a collapsing counterfeit God, anxiety, inordinate anxiety. is something that you've built your life on that's not, it's, it's letting you down. It's disappointing you. And uh, we're talking inordinate because it's okay to have a level, a certain level of anxiety and anger and depression and as long as it's channeled appropriately but when it gives you these sleepless nights there's probably some sort of idolatry happening. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. Your relationship to it is that of worship. You're ascribing ultimate worth and value to this thing that engages and energizes your mind, will, and emotion. You have ascribed ultimate value and worth to it. This is where all of our problems come from. I could solve your problems by right here. It's, it's a worship deal. It's, it's a worship thing. If you go to a really good, healthy, uh, Bible-based, gospel-centered counselor, this is what they're going to do. They're going to bring you back to some form of idolatry and to help you to, to kind of reorient you and to recalibrate your heart so that you're centered upon Christ. Let me ask you this question. Why are some people stressed over relationships? inordinately and then and then others are not stressed over relationships but then they're stressed over money or or others are not stressed over relationships and money but then they're stressed over over career if I were to follow you around and find out what is it that stresses your life out I could probably find out what you have overly attached your heart to what what those idols are what those things those pseudo saviors in your life and, uh, and how are you going to become stronger and happier people? Self-help? How-to? Behavioral modification? No. No. No, the Bible says our ultimate problem is always what we worship. And this is what I found. This has brought such sanity to my life. And that's the truth 
that when, when I begin to see that God's love, and when you begin to see that God's love is better than life, Psalm 63, 3, when his love is more, more satisfying, when his love you begin to see is more valuable and more beautiful than any other kind of love, you will stop being excessively stressed over relationships and money and career or whatever it is you have ascribed ultimate worth and value to. Because you'll find that sense of, of completeness and contentedness in him. And, and then, then you can care about the other issues in life appropriately. They're not going to hold you hostage and put the, the hurt on you. And, and, and so we could actually divide the world up into two groups of people. Uh, most would think that uh, the world is divided up into people who worship and people who don't worship. That's not true. It's actually the world could be divided up into two groups of people. Those who worship created things and those who worship the creator. You're in one of those two categories this morning. And even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can say we worship God, but functionally, how we live out our lives, we can actually be ascribing ultimate worth and value to something else in our life, even when we say we worship God. But all we have to do is look at our inordinate anxiety and anger and depression and our sleepless nights and those things that, have, that we, we daydream about, as I said, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. We look at those things, we can begin to see what's got a hold of our heart. Romans one twenty five, it says, um, this is ultimately what we do. This is what we all struggle with. This is a daily battle. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things more than the creator. Here's the next point in your notes. <clears throat> the process of true worship of God is to recognize what has captured your heart's deepest loyalties and affections and relocate them in God. So when we gather regularly, and that's really what these seven verses are about. And uh, so when we gather together, that's what we're wanting to do. Every single person has put their ultimate hope, love, and trust in something that they are saying, either consciously or subconsciously, if I have that then I have all that I need, all, all the acceptance, security, and significance I'll ever need. Now, you might not be saying that consciously to yourself, but you're saying that subconsciously. There's something that you have centered your life on. There's something that you're saying deep in your heart, if I accomplish this, if I acquire this, if I achieve this, my life matters. It can be money, it can be romance, it can be any number of things. And so worship is really recalibrating your heart, saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's good, money's good. Romance is good, career's good, but Jesus, you're better. You're the one that I'm putting my hope in. You're the one that I'm trusting. You've got to know how to do that. You've got to know how to recalibrate your heart and, and pull your heart off of those things and begin to put your heart on him. Every act of worship to God is healing to yourself. It's a recalibrating. You are pulling your heart off of those things that control you and putting it onto the one thing that will not distort your life because that's how you were created. You were created to put him at the center of your life. And the better you get at describing ultimate value and worth to God, the more it will heal your heart, free your soul, fortify your faith, and transform your life and give you the ability to face anything. And so what we typically do, and I learned this years ago, it was really helpful. We worship our way into trouble. So, I mean, if I could just get married, 
Oh, my goodness. And then, of course, yeah, and then we get married and we go, oh, help us, Lord. That's exactly it. It's like, what was I thinking? I thought this would, you know, I thought this would satisfy the deepest longing of my soul. You know, so we, it's just crazy. We realize, well, maybe I married the wrong one. And maybe I'll, I'll try it again. Or, I mean, we, I mean, this is the craziness of our, our, of our culture and our society. And, uh, but there's something we're saying that deep in our heart about. So we worship our way into trouble. I, I did that. I nearly wrecked my marriage. Because I, I, because I ascribed ultimate worth and value on my wife and her affirmation of me. And uh, she's, she's not a very affirming person. It's not her fault. It's just that I was looking to her to give to me what I should have been getting from God. And I nearly wrecked our marriage because of that. And I didn't realize, wait, 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 wait. She might not ever affirm me. She affirms me. She does affirm me, by the way. That, that sounds pretty mean that, like, she's never affirming. She affirms me in, in a language that I didn't really understand initially, and now I understand more clearly. But I was a bit dull, but I had a lot of idolatry in my heart. And I had to recalibrate that and really understand, wait, 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 wait a minute, whether she affirms me or not, it doesn't matter. That's not what matters. What matters is that I have all the affirmation I'll ever need in Jesus Christ. And then out of that, then I'm going to be able to, to love her the way that I should love her. I mean, it made all the difference in the world. But I had to learn how to kind of recalibrate my heart and come back, come back to, to Christ. See, if you're living for achievement or money or romance, and if you fail that God... That God will never forgive you and you'll hate yourself forever. And even if you get that God, it will never completely satisfy you because God has put eternity in your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Your heart was made for God in Him alone. See, here's the deal. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus... Jesus is the only Lord and when you get him he fulfills you. Amen. When you fail him he forgives you. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're almost done. We're going to baptize a few folks here this morning. How can we learn to worship God well? Here's the first one. Prepare to meet God. Verse, verse 1a. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Realize who it is that you are privileged to have a relationship with. Realize that it is through his indispensable and costly love. Let me talk about that just for a minute. So those of you that are getting baptized here this morning, you came to the realization that your sin separates you from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You recognize in your heart that you do as all of us do. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. That's what we do. We fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on and it tells us in Romans 6.23, for the way of sin is death, which is separation from God, and we're doomed to be eternally separated from him. It's called hell because of a choice that we've made because we don't want to have anything to do with God. It's on us, not on God. And yet in that verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. Woo, man, it's awesome. Now, here's, here's the difference between Christianity and the major cults and religions of our world today. If anybody ever asks you, what's the difference between, aren't they all the same? No, 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 no. And this is what got a hold of my heart years ago when I began to understand this. See, every other major cult and religion in this world today is good advice. 
at what you must do to be right with God. Hit the punch list. You're in. See, the gospel is a gift. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's good news about what God has done to make us right with him. He's done it all. It is finished. By grace through faith in Christ, you have all that you need. You enter into this relationship with him. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's what those that are getting baptized are. They're making a public declaration of their faith in Christ. It's called substitutionary atonement. They're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he did, he did for me. And I receive his righteousness and right standing before God. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Good stuff. That should send you right through the ceiling. And if you haven't, I mean, if the gospel isn't the most amazing the amazing message you've ever heard? You haven't heard it. I pray that you hear it before you leave today or maybe by the end of the day that God gets a hold of your heart. Here's the next thing. So you prepare to meet God. You give him your undivided attention. He says in verses 1b to 2a, draw near to listen. Don't be rash with your mouth. What, and really what, as you're beginning to examine your heart, as you're, you're giving him your undivided attention, you're asking yourself these questions. What are those things that are competing for my heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ? What is God speaking to me? And you begin to pray that God will open your, your ears to hear his still small voice, 1 Kings 19, 12. And then you seek a high view of God or an accurate view of God. That's the next fill in the blank. You seek this high view of God. A lot of American churches today don't have a very high view of God. It's a very low view of God. But you need to have an accurate view of God. Verse 2b, it says, For God is in heaven and you are on earth. This is really about humbling yourself before God. Humility is an accurate view not only of God, of yourself. So here's what you need. Here's the view of yourself when you're looking at the cross. Here's two truths that will ravish your heart. The first one is... This is an accurate view of yourself in, in Christ. I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. It was indispensable what he did. There's no other way that I can have a relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. It also says that I am more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much, he wanted to die for me. See, that's the love of Christ. His costly love. He died on the cross for me. And then, give your heart completely to God. Verses four through six. Follow through with your vows. Mean what you say. Be honest to God. Pour your heart out to God. Live your life for God. Ascribe to him ultimate value and worth. And so we've got a 5G process here of discipleship. So it starts with it being a genuine Christian, making a confession of faith in Jesus, commitment to Christ into a local church family. And then you make that public through water baptism, as you'll see some folks do that in just a bit. And then the second G is a growing Christian. You begin to read your Bible, you pray, and you get connected to a local church family and hang out with other fired up Christians in, in a small group setting. And then, and then there's the third G, which is a giving Christian. You begin to use your time, talent, and treasures in a local church community so that we together can be strong and healthy and we together can be going Christians that go into all the world and preach the gospel and tell the world about Jesus. And we do this all for his glory. That's the last point. Get serious about your relationship with God. Verse 7, but God is the one you must fear. Recovering awe, that's the title of this series, recovering awe is being so captivated by the person and work of Jesus Christ that it ruins you for anything else. 
We're going to sing a song that will transition into our time of uh, baptism. And uh, Josh is going to lead us in this song. This song is a bit nostalgic for us here at Desert Breeze. We sang this in the early days, and maybe you're familiar with it. It's called The Heart of Worship. It's by Matt Redman. Anybody familiar with that song? Heart of Worship. It's a phenomenal song, and I want us to do that right now. I know we did it through Scripture, and I want you to do it through song. But uh, this is from an article... It's called Back to the Heart of Worship by Dave Mathis from Desiring God. He says, we are creatures of habit. If we don't find ways to remind ourselves of why we do what we do, we're prone to just go through the motions, if not adopt some new underlying motivation altogether, which can be especially dangerous in worship. Matt Redman, in the late 1990s, the preaching pastor of Redman's church in England sensed that their worship gatherings were going flat spiritually that the congregation was going through the motions and worship wasn't flowing from the heart like true Christian worship must. And Redmond says that there was a dynamic missing, so the pastor did a pretty brave thing. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season, and we gathered together with just our voices, a cappella. And during this season... Redmond says the pastor challenged the congregation to be participants in worship, not consumers. To come ready to engage with God for themselves from the heart, not just watch with their eyes. He wanted them to come as worshipers, not as concert goers. And then before long, Redmond says, we introduced the musicians and sound system as we gained a new perspective that worship is all about Jesus and the heart of worship. This song simply describes what occurred. And one of the reasons why I love this song is because it describes 25 years here at Desert Breeze. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We're going to sing this song. Take some time and let this into your head the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done and let it stir your heart so that it can transform your life. Let's sing it.